welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Your upbringing matters. Tonight, we are going to be looking at the story of Moses here in Exodus chapter 2 and how God used Moses' unique upbringing to prepare this young man as a deliverer. Moses is a prototype of another deliverer. Moses delivered the people. God raised him up. The word Moses means I drew you out. He was drawn out of the Nile River, we're going to see here, as a baby, three months old. Could you imagine putting your baby in the Nile River, floating it down in a basket? Baby's crying. Baby wants his mother. And all of a sudden, the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, sees the baby and draws the baby to herself. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 2. I'm so glad you're able to join us this evening. If you're watching this live right now on Facebook, I want to encourage you to share this. I think this is a message for, for everyone. Because we're going to see here how God worked in this young man's life by no accident. Just like he's working in your life and it's no accident. Just like it's not an accident that you're watching this either on YouTube or you're watching our church Facebook page or maybe you're listening to it on our on our podcast channel. The principle is God has you a message this evening here on our Time Change Sunday in the middle of March and it's one that we want to see what God's Word has to say for us. I want to give a special shout out. It is March 14th, which it is Miss Betty Crow's birthday. She's one of our most faithful watchers. So happy birthday, Betty. I'm so glad you're turning. I'm going to let you finish that sentence and put in the comment line there your age. So you can list your age in our Facebook comments and we'll... All get wish Miss Betty Crow, who watches past years, she's watched every single service on our Facebook Live channel. So we're so appreciative of that. While you're turning there in your Bible, I just want to I just want to show you about the um, I don't want to say the de the deception, but in many ways the deceitfulness and um, the slyness of our culture. This past week, I checked our mail, and there was a book here, a book offer, a little flyer we received to fill out or go online or, or scan with your smartphone and you drop it back in the mail and um, you find out about um, this book here that's free and the book is called The Great Hope. So I went online I thought I want to research this. What, what is this really about? At first I thought this has got to be the Jehovah's Witnesses because there was nothing on here that shared what organization they were with. It was just a free book, a religious book. I went and looked it up. The Great Hope was written by, published in the 1800s by Ellen G. White, who's the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. She claimed to be a prophetess and had over 2,000 visions. Her most important vision is she encouraged Christians to worship on the Sabbath. We know the Sabbath is actually on Saturday. We've talked about this on Wednesday night. In fact, this past Wednesday night, we spoke about it. Why do we worship here? It is Sunday evening here at Broadway Baptist. Why are we worshiping on Sunday night? I'll tell you why. 
Because the early church in the book of Acts, they worshipped on Sunday night. It was called the Lord's Day. Jesus Christ was resurrected on Sunday morning. The tomb was empty on Sunday morning. And the believers, the Christians, they also began to worship that morning as well. So I thought that was a, a, somewhat of a sneaky way. But I think our, with us Christians... You know, know, this coming Saturday, we're going out in the community witnessing. There's no secret with us. We're proud to be Bible-believing Christians. We stand on the Word of God. We, We boldly say, Jesus is my Savior. I believe in this book right here. There should never be any bait and switch going on here. We win people to Christ through our relationships. You befriend someone, and through that relationship, you, you remind them that they need Jesus. Every single person needs Jesus. So it's not like you're be, becoming their friend for the sole purpose that they need Jesus. You're, becoming, you're their friend, and they just need Jesus because they're sinners. So you work your relationships and be thinking about ways you can certainly invite people to church. You know, we're, we are three weeks from Easter. Easter's right around the corner. I hope God has placed someone on your heart as we're getting vaccinated this past week. I got my first vaccine shot, and um, a couple more weeks I'll be getting my second one. A lot of folks in our church family, our city, uh, noticing uh, masks are, are not as frequent as they used to be. Maybe they should be, but they're not because I think folks are feeling more comfortable. Kids are going back to school, and that's an opportunity for us with this return to everything for us to be able to look for someone we need to invite to Easter at Broadway. We're going to have a wonderful Easter service and celebrate Christ's resurrection. He is alive. The tomb is empty with that. Open up your Bibles. Exodus chapter 2. Here it is. God's deliverer is coming about. We're about to meet Moses. We're going to see the importance of our upbringing. Our upbringing is important because it's not an accident. God has allowed you to experience what you've gone through with the greater purpose of drawing you to his son and also having a deep, uh, committed relationship with Christ and and come to know the Lord with that. Look at this, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. Now who are these people here? These are Moses' parents. Moses' dad was named Amram. That's his father's name, Amram. Moses' mother was named Jochebed. Jochebed and Amram. These are people from the tribe of Levi. Levi is the priestly tribe. The priests are the ones that would make the offerings. They were the ones that would dedicate their lives to service to the Lord. They would serve the temple. They would be the ones that uh, would... um, you be what we would consider the priest with that. So Moses is being born into this priestly family. So Moses has an older brother named Aaron. So we have Aaron and Moses. He also has a sister named Miriam. This is his family. So Jochebed and Amram, or his mom and dad. And then his brother is Aaron. His sister is Miriam. So that's, our, that's who we see here. So they are, they are in the land of Egypt. They're in northern Egypt in the area called Ramesses or the area of Goshen. They've, their family has been there for 400 years. 
Why are the Hebrews, why are these Israelites in Egypt? They are in Egypt because God raised up a man named Joseph who met all the hunger needs with the famine and invited all the Israelites there to have food and supplied food for their family. And then a Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh came and went, and then 400 years later, a Pharaoh comes to power who did not know about Joseph and looked at these Israelites and think, these people need to be slaves. They are going to start building and start supplying and meeting our needs. So that's our situation. We have God is raising up this little baby. Something very special, very unique is going to happen. Unique circumstances will happen in this child's life for him to become the deliverer of all the Hebrews. Verse 2. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, what's going on here? So apparently, beautiful, that word meant that he was healthy. He was attractive. He was um, just a good-looking, uh, well-fed, just well, well-nourished boy. Now, why is this important? Moses, because he was a baby boy and because of Pharaoh, Moses was supposed to be thrown into the Nile River. Remember, Pharaoh is trying to kill all the Hebrew boys because they're becoming too numerous. And Pharaoh's fear is they could rebel and revolt against us Egyptians and then they could actually take over our country. So he wasn't scared of the women so the little girls could live, but all the Hebrew boys had to die. We didn't want any more men to come uh, to come into the world. So obviously Jochebed has her baby boy and she realizes this is a healthy little boy. I'm going to disobey Pharaoh's orders. You know, there are times that we are not to obey what government tells us to do. Think about it. If the government told you or instructed you to do something that was against God's word, would you do it? If, it, if you are being told to do something that violates Scripture, even the United States government instructs us to do that, would we do it? Of course we wouldn't do it, because God's law comes before man's law. So Jochebed is thinking, I'm not going to kill my son. Thou shalt not kill. You should not kill your children. That is, that is not something that parents are supposed to be doing. That's what's so, in, uh, so wrong with abortion. You're, you're taking the life or infanticide, killing your children there. So let's keep going here in the Bible. Verse 3, But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Now what's interesting about this, it says she can no longer hide him, meaning there comes a point where the baby's growing up, he's, he's, he's going to be seen, Jochebed can't stay in hiding much longer. What will happen to her is an Egyptian will see this is a baby boy and he's supposed to be dead. So why is he alive? So they, it says they made him a papyrus basket. That word basket is used. 
The word basket right here is only used in another place. And the Hebrew word is only used in another place one other time. It's used with, in regards to Noah's Ark. And that word means tabah. The only place it's else used in Scripture is to describe Noah's Ark. So what is Noah's Ark? Noah's Ark is a tabah, an ark that saved mankind. Everyone comes from Noah's Ark. Everyone can trace their lineage, obviously, back to Noah and his three sons. Well, in the same way, Tabah, this basket, it is also an uh, ark that God has allowed this baby to be put in the reeds among pitch and just made a little home right there because they're supposed to be thrown in the Nile River and Jochebed cannot kill her beautiful baby boy. She's a good mother. So she's going to put him in a basket and just trust the Lord. God, I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't understand this. Could you imagine mothers right now if you had to put your baby in a basket and send it down the Nile River? Do you know in the Nile River today there are crocodiles? In the Nile River, a three-month-old baby cannot swim. If that basket were to turn over, Moses is dead. Not only that in the in the basket. Moses is a baby, so he's going to starve to death. There's no mother. There's no breastfeeding in the Nile River. This baby is in the reeds. And obviously, Jochebed's crying, thinking, okay, what are we going to do? And we know Miriam, the sister, his, uh, his sister is there as well. So something's going to... God is setting up this situation that something is going to happen. So... Um, I'll I, I tell you what I think. I, I don't think any of this is by accident. I think this was planned. I think Jochebed knew exactly what she was trying to do. She knew the timing of when Pharaoh's uh, daughter, the princess, was taking a bath. She knew exactly what she wanted to happen there with, with uh, baby Moses being floated down the river right coincidentally in front of the princess because she knew God I, I can't keep this baby but if the princess were to see this beautiful child fixed him up made him look really good great presentation he's floating by himself down the river maybe she will have compassion on him so that's what we're going to see an incredible story what's about to happen here so she's placing the child in it and among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. Then his sister, this is Miriam, so Moses has an older sister, stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. So she's kind of keeping, don't miss this, she's keeping her eye out. Big sister, who's, you know, maybe nine, eight, nine, ten years old, who's probably been coached by her mother, is kind of watching what's going on. Because that's her little brother. That's mama's son. Mama wants this baby. We don't want to get rid of our child. So she's aware that we're near the palace. She's aware of where the stream's going and about the bathing time of the princess. And here comes Noah, or not Noah, he's in Noah's Ark. Moses is floating down the Nile River at just the opportune time. Nothing is by accident. God's providence is right here to be seen. 
Well, lo and behold, verse 5 says, Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child, and there he was. What a presentation. There he was. Obviously what's happening here is this uh, a Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, is getting her bath, it's bathing time, and she's got these little girls who are her attendants, her helpers, and she sees this basket, and she says, bring me that basket, like, well, I want to see what that is. And uh, they go and fetch. Um, now, whether or not it was exactly Miriam who pulled them out, but apparently Miriam, his sister, was among the little girls helping the one of the attendants there, or hanging out with the attendants of Pharaoh's daughter. And they opened it up, and they saw him, the child. And look at this presentation. And there he was, verse 6, a little boy crying. And it says she felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. She looked at him and thought, oh, what a handsome little fellow. We can't kill this child. He is a good-looking young man. And lo and behold, she's, her heart's going out to this baby. Everyone loves a baby. A three-month-old baby, you just want to pick it up and hold it. They're helpless. They want to be held. They want to be nursed. They want to be loved. And lo and behold, here comes Miriam. Almost as she's coached by her mother. Very smart, very in tune. She speaks up in verse 7. Then his sister Miriam said to Pharaoh's daughter, this is the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, Miss Princess, should I go and call a Hebrew woman? Who is, nurse, who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? <laughs> Notice she does not say, do you want me to go get the baby's mama? No, this is just like some little girl coming up, Miriam, saying, Miss Princess, do you want me to go find a woman who can nurse, a nursing Hebrew woman who can nurse this baby for you? Because if Pharaoh's daughter, if the princess says, Yes, you raised that child for me. All of a sudden, Moses receives a golden ticket. He's under Pharaoh's house now. He's under, he's under the princess's care. If that princess says, take care of this baby, it is, it's almost like an executive order from the President of the United States. The, the words, the stroke of a pen, literally, it's the law of the land. The princess says to go find a mother. Little Miriam is right there going to find a mother who can nurse this baby. So the mother, look at this. This is God's providence this whole time. This is why Moses' upbringing is so unique. Because what's powerful about Moses, he was born in a slave's house. He's a Hebrew slave. Probably not, not very wealthy with his upbringing. But then he's raised in an Egyptian education. He's raised in a very wealthy, uh, affluent, extremely affluent home. He's raised in Pharaoh's home. What's amazing about this story with Moses, the deliverer who's going to deliver all the Hebrews from Egypt is literally right there under the nose being brought up in Pharaoh's palace. He's coming about right there. Verse 8, look what it says. 
Miriam is a smart little girl, very wise. And, and Pharaoh's daughter says, go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. So sure enough, here comes Jochebed. Jochebed, Miriam comes up and says, mama, Pharaoh's daughter now has the baby. Uh, she needs someone to nurse him. Do you know someone to nurse him? And lo and behold, that morning she was just nursing him. Here comes Jochebed to continue nursing this little baby. She walked up, pretending like she's never seen the child before, and started taking care of him. Became his nanny. So it was actually his mother raising him as his nanny. And probably what happened with Jochebed, because this was, Jochebed never probably told very many people, except maybe Miriam, this story, maybe Amram, because he was a, um, he wasn't supposed to live, but he had a ticket to live because Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, said he could stay alive. So she, all of a sudden, Jochebed's needs were being met because she was now herself under the care of Pharaoh's house, the Egyptian palace. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, spoke to Jochebed, Moses' mother, take this child and nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. Meaning, you take care of this baby, I'll pay whatever it costs. You're under my care now. I own this child, I'm going to adopt him. I pulled him from the water, and he's now under, he's under my care, but you, ma'am, you take care of him and raise him up till he gets of age. And then he'll be someone, he's basically, she was adopting him as probably an attendant in, in, the, in Pharaoh's house. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. Back in Bible times, it was very common. Typically, you start to wean a child now at one year old, when they're about 12, 14 months. Uh, back in Bible times, you would typically wean a child at three or four, month, three or four years, I'm sorry. So uh, Moses, probably spending his first three years of his life, he's directly in his mother's care. Verse 10. When the child grew older... She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. So he, he's, he's getting older now. And he became her son. Jochebed raised him. And he's reaching age. She realizes he's not, he's not even though he, I'm his biological mother, I will soon have to pass him off. Remember Hannah? She dedicated her son Samuel to the Lord. And what happened was he... When he reached the age of accountability to age to become a young man to study the scriptures, she brought him to Eli, the priest. And then at that point on, he then was instructed by Eli. That's very similar to what we're seeing here. God is taking Moses, and then he's going to soon enter, when he reaches a certain age, enter Pharaoh's palace, enter, enter the home for Egyptian instruction. And he became her son, Pharaoh's the princess's son, she named him Moses. Why was he named Moses? Because she said, I drew him out of the water. I drew him out of the water. I saw this papyrus basket floating down the Nile River, dodging crocodiles, snakes, all sorts of obstacles that would have killed this baby, a three-month-old baby. But God delivered Moses. 
He's the deliverer, a unique situation, a very important upbringing. Moses was raised in Egyptian wealth. He received an Egyptian education. He understood uh, the authority of Pharaoh. He understood Egyptian religion. Even though he was a Hebrew and he worshipped Yahweh God, he was also very aware because he was, he was raised in this. And in many ways, our life here in Lexington, and in many ways, America, here we are in a city, Lexington, a very lost city, a city that needs Christ. You can live your life in our city here and really not really be confronted unless someone maybe does personal evangelism, but you can live a very godless life, very secular life, and not even really be forced to think about the things of God. It's like someone who was raised in a godly household. They were taught the ways of the Lord, the instruction from God, and then they're going to Egypt. They're going to Pharaoh's house. They're going to the palace. They're coming to the bluegrass. They're coming to an area that needs great revival. They're coming to a very secular college town that is dependent upon other things than the Lord. In many ways, our life, our upbringing is very similar to Moses. Moses had a, had a Hebrew God-centered mother who taught him the scriptures, who taught him what had happened with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how God brought their people into Egypt through, Mo, through Joseph. And now they're in slavery. They're under Pharaoh's watch, and God is raising up and about to do something uh, miraculous here. Here comes the deliverer that will, that will occur. Do you know, I want you to flip over in your Bibles here to the New Testament book of Acts. And i tell you why. Because there was a man named Stephen. And he preached actually the longest sermon in the New Testament. And he's about to be martyred. He's in front of the Sanhedrin. They are not happy with what he's saying. And do you know what his sermon was about? While he was preaching, he recounted the life and the ministry of Moses. And he actually told this story, what we just read. So I want you to see this here. See this in, in your Bible here. It's uh, Acts chapter 7. Verses 17 through 22. So I want you to turn, turn along and follow this with me. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. Look what God's Word says. Now he's preaching this sermon to these folks uh, in front of the, the religious leaders. And he, he's on trial because he's a believer. He's, he's a bold, he's the first part of the first seven deacons and he's boldly proclaiming the gospel He's in trial, he's been arrested, and now, the, now they want to get rid of him. And it says here, At the time was approaching to fulfill that the promise had made to Abraham. God's people were in slavery. They were in need of revival. And this is a promise for us even today. The people flourished and multiplied in Egypt. Even when you live in a lost city, such as Lexington, you can flourish and multiply. There is no reason Broadway Baptist Church can't experience revival. If you're listening from another church, or maybe you don't go to church, in your personal life, you can experience revival. No, no reason not to flourish. God brings revival whether we are in the promised land or whether we're in Egypt. And here, these people here, the Hebrews, they were in Egypt, in a godless country, a secular country. 
And God is bringing about something great that's about to happen. It says, until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled in Egypt. So they didn't, this new Pharaoh that came to power did not know about Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed their ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so that they wouldn't survive. That, that was what was supposed to happen to Moses. Moses was supposed to die. God's word declared that Jochebed, a godly mother, and Amram, a godly father, decided to disobey the command. They looked at their son and said, this is a beautiful boy. God has given us his son. He is going to be the deliverer. Lord, we're going to, we're going to put him in the Nile in a basket, just like Noah's Ark. The Terah, and see what's going to happen here. At verse 20 it says, At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months. So three months he lived in his own home. But when he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. He received an Egyptian secular education. You know, there's such a debate that goes on today and among Christian parents, and even in churches, you, you can have the, what we would call the public education, which would be a secular education. That would be the Egyptian education. That would be the, uh, the education that I, I, I went to public schools growing up. That would be the University of Kentucky. That would be Fayette, Fayette County Schools. It's one that is inclusive of everybody. It's a, a, there's no um, anything goes. We accept all people in all different beliefs, all backgrounds. And they, they'll accommodate anyone's type of thinking, anyone's uh, gender identity, anyone's sexual identity, anyone's religious background. That is what we would call a secular education. It's not based on a Christian Judeo influence. Now, years ago, it likely was, or it was based on that, but now things have changed. And then the other type of education would be what we would call a Christian or a biblical education. Where someone maybe goes to a Christian school or a Christian college. And of course they're taught math and English and all that. But maybe they might, they might have a Bible class or they have another opportunity that they learn their scriptures. That they have it. What's powerful about Mo, the story of Moses, Moses received the secular education. He was that guy. Listen, in, in, in Egyptian schools, they were not learning about Abraham. His people, Abraham, those were just farmers that were there to serve them. They didn't want to hear about the, 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 the story of God through Joseph bringing their people there. That's not what they taught. They worshiped false gods. He's sitting in class having to learn about things that don't even exist, that don't even pertain to truth. He received a secular education. And what's amazing about this is God raised up the one who was not educated in the Lord. He received the different education. Yet God's raising up the him to be God's, the deliverer of God's people. And what's, and what's happening here in, in Acts chapter 7, God is using Stephen to tell a story of Moses, how he used someone who's probably a very unlikely, unlikely beginning 
unlikely upbringing to actually deliver the people from slavery, from the yoke of bondage. God drew Moses out of the water. It was no accident. He placed that princess at that time, and he had Miriam come at that time, the perfect time to position in Jochebed right there available to start nursing baby Moses. God drew this baby out of the water. And God also drew, using that little baby, 80 years later, he's an old man, 80 years old, drew his people out of Egypt. Moses, drawn out of the water, Lord used that. 80 years later, Moses comes back to Pharaoh, draws God's people out of Egypt. We see the beginnings of this drawing out, saying Egypt is no longer your home. This isn't where you're going to live. My people need to be let go. This is not the promised land. God's raising up a deliverer in your own life. Jesus wants to deliver you of sin. Are you struggling with sin tonight? Are you battling addiction? Are you struggling with just uh, difficult times? Or is there, is there fear, finances? God wants to deliver you from that oppression. You know, we had an incredible D-Now here this past weekend in our church. It's for teenagers, a youth weekend. Had over 30 kids come. Just a powerful movement of God. And about them worshiping and serving and, and honoring the Lord. And they were delivered. God was, uh, the, the theme was rooted. God was teaching them about being rooted in Scripture. Pastor Josh preached on that. Shared about how our roots. Moses, even though he was in the palace in Egypt, he was rooted in a biblical foundation. I invite you this evening to be rooted in God's Word. I invite you this evening to be rooted in a faith that is unshakable in Christ Jesus. I'm going to close this in prayer. Now, I want, to, I, want, I want to hear from you. We have our connection cards. You can complete it right here online. But more importantly than that, um, most important is not just to communicate to us. It's you need to be communicating to God. And when I pray here, today is our eighth day, our last day of our week of prayer for our Annie Armstrong uh, missionaries with the North American Mission Board. And today we're praying fast, being steadfast on mission. We want to pray for Mr. Kevin Ezell, who's the North American Mission Board president. Does a fantastic job leading our mission board. Even the partnerships that our church, along with other churches, have in taking the good news to cities that need the gospel. There are Egyptian cities. There are Pharaoh palaces all around us. And they need to hear about and learn about the Lord. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. This prayer is going to be for us, praying for our missionaries, as well as this prayer is going to be for you if you need deliverance from the Lord. That the Lord can deliver you from your sin. He draw, he drew, just like Moses, he was drawn out of water. And for us, there's many times God needs to remove us from maybe the Nile River and place us in the palace. God needs to remove you from Egypt 
and place you in the promised land? Where do you need to be drawn out from and allow God to place you somewhere else? Some of you, you've been worshiping online and God wants to draw you away from the living room and draw you into his house. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. I want to invite you to be a part of Broadway. Invite you to come sit in these pews. Right now, they're empty. Sunday night's an online service. Sunday morning, there's folks in these pews. Wednesday night, there's folks down in the fellowship hall when we have prayer meeting and Bible study. We come and we worship the Lord. We're drawn to the cross. Jesus died and he says, I will draw all men to myself. When he was hanging on that cross right there, he's drawing me and you to come to him. God, I pray that we will draw near you. Lord, I pray that we have a deliverer. You deliver us from sin. God, I pray if there's anyone here tonight and we're struggling, spiritually we're hurting, Lord, save us. Save our souls. Lord, I pray for Kevin Izell, who leads our North American Mission Board. We pray for him. Pray for the different sin cities, for the church planners, for the disaster relief, for sin relief, for the many needs here, gospel needs all around. And Lord, we pray for revival. Lord, we pray for our city, for Lexington. Thank you for D-Now, these teenagers here in our city, for them being rooted and being centered on you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here listening to this, they will cry out to you. Lord, you will draw them out of their situation, just like you drew Moses out of the water, and he drew the people out of Egypt and took them to the promised land. God, I thank you for your word. I pray you speak to us. I pray you convict us of sin. I pray this Sunday evening sermon series, we are faithful in continuing focusing on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. I hope the Lord blesses your life. I hope to see you here every Sunday night. You can join us live on our church Facebook page. And we also put it back on the church YouTube page as well as on our, our podcast every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. I will see you next week as we continue going through the book of Exodus. God bless you.